Good morning. It's nice to see all of you today. I appreciate your concern and your prayers for, you know, I don't know why they have to call it Asiatica. Just because I'm Oriental uh, or was born in Korea, I don't know why. Uh, but um, but anyway, it's getting better, uh, as they say, one step at a time. And uh, and so I do appreciate your uh, indications and demonstrations of concern and, and your prayers. Uh, we've got a couple of announcements that we want to mention before we uh, get into the lesson. Um, on Saturday, we will have the 18th annual uh, barbecue, Sunset Barbecue. It'll be outside at the pavilion at uh, 6 p.m. So if you would like a invitation, Jeff and Karen Henson have them. Uh, you'll recognize Jeff as the elder that will lead the prayer at the close of this uh, sermon. And, uh, and there's more details in the bulletin and also on the back of the card. We want you to, uh, we want to invite everyone to come. Please bring some friends and then bring some food to share as well. The, um, in two weeks, we will have our fifth Sunday family night. And it'll coincide with Sunset hosting an area-wide singing for various congregations in South Florida. And so that will be at 2 p... 2... Let's see. Yeah, 2.30. Um, the, the letters get smaller and smaller. I don't know. Uh, uh, it will be at 2.30 to 3.30, and then there will be refreshments. And so we invite everyone to come, go get some lunch, come back, and, and be a part of that and share not only with singing here at Sunset, but uh, with other brothers and sisters from other congregations in uh, in the area. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but occasionally, and you will notice this more frequently, we have children of various families who are a part of the assembly and who sit in with us. And uh, not only do the letters get smaller, the ground gets further and further away. Um, you might notice that some of the kids today have these really cool little uh, uh, connection bags, okay? Now, having the kids as part of the assembly is a really important part of their development, but it's also a blessing to us. It's when we all join together to be a part of the, uh, uh, of the gathering of, uh, of our assembly. And, um, and so the children's ministry has prepared these um, connection bags, and the idea is that uh, there are numerous things in here that will help them connect with the lesson, um, that will help them connect with maybe what they can do after the lesson in different kinds of ways. And so any child up to fifth grade uh, can get one of these. And so if you're in that situation and you haven't got one, uh, they're outside the door. And, uh, and then afterwards, please drop it off where you got them. And then uh, they can repack them and get them ready for, for next week's assembly. So um, in my mind and in the mind of the leadership here, um, the cost or whatever discomfort there might be in having children with us is minimal compared to the blessing of having them here. Uh, we do not intend for the children to 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 be 100 percent quiet. There is not a single child that could do that. And that is not our expectation. In fact, I appreciate and enjoy the interaction. And sometimes kids will respond when some of the adults remain silent. They'll answer for me. And uh, and so we appreciate that. So please uh, um, find ways to bless the families and the children that are around you, uh, because that is important to us. It is important to our Sunset family. But most importantly, it's important for God. He appreciates uh, their, their presence with us as well. I, I don't know. You know, we try and avoid commercials as much as possible with DVRs and such. And uh, um uh, but but if you you watch car commercials, 
it's interesting how most of them show people doing things with their vehicles that you and I will never do, <laughs> right? Um, you're off-roading, uh, uh, racing, uh, drifting, if you know what drifting is, you know, where you're sliding sideways and stuff around corners, uh, 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 have never done it intentionally. Um, and if you look at the fine print below the, um, the, the, the screens, uh, uh, the, the, the commercial, let's say something like professional drivers on a closed course do not attempt, right? And, and, and so I, I wonder, like, so what value is this commercial to me? Because, you know, what I would rather see is how well does this car hold up in a traffic jam on the Palmetto? See, that's where it gets a little bit real. Well, what they're trying to do is to paint this image, to create this image of where you would like to go and what you would like to do and where you would like, who would you like to be in this particular vehicle. So you can picture yourself in the desert riding through, you can picture yourself on a mountain going four-wheeling, you know, four-wheel drive. Most of the people I know who have four-wheel drive have never used more than just two of the wheels uh, uh, engaged. But they're trying to give us an image that appeals to our mind and heart. Well, see, I don't think they were the ones to invent that concept. And actually, that's what Jesus is doing through the Gospels. And as we follow Jesus in this Gospel of Mark, Jesus is constantly pulling back the curtains and giving us a glimpse of the real world, the true world, the future world. And he does this through his teaching. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. And over and over, Mark will tell us that Jesus came to preach and to teach. That was his primary function. And yet the way he emphasizes that teaching is through the miracles he performs. The miracles he carries out. Think about the miracles that we've seen up to this point. Casting out demons. Healing people of various illnesses, raising a person from the dead, calming a storm. And, and, and I don't know about you, but when we read these miracles, generally we think of two reasons why Jesus did miracles. One was to authenticate, to prove that he really was God's son, because only God's son could do those kinds of miracles. That's one reason. A second reason, which hits a lot closer to home, is that Jesus was um, showing the compassionate and loving character of God. He wanted to show us God's heart. What does God look like? How does God act if he were to come on earth? And so we see his compassionate and loving character. We see that God truly does care. And throughout the years, God has blessed individuals to to demonstrate that compassion and care in very, very unique and significant ways. Historians and biographers consistently rate Abraham Lincoln as the greatest U.S. president year after year. And one of the reasons is because he was a compassionate man. The story is told and I checked fact checked it a couple different times to make sure that I wasn't just telling you guys a, a, a preacher story. But there was an elderly man whose son had been convicted of gross crimes in the U.S. Army. And he was sentenced to be shot. So he, the father came to plead with Lincoln. 
The boy was an only son. Lincoln agreed to hear the case. But as he was listening to the father share the story, Lincoln received a telegram from General Butler, who was part of one of the armies, which this young man happened to be a part of. And the telegram said, and he read it out loud in the father's presence, I beg you, Mr. President, not to interfere with the court-martials of this army. You will destroy all discipline in the army. The man's face fell. But then Lincoln suddenly seized the father's hand and exclaimed, By jingo, butler or no butler, here goes. <laughs> he wrote out an order and handed it to the father. The man read the order and it said this, Job Smith is not to be shot until further orders from me. Signed, Abraham Lincoln. Well, the father wasn't particularly happy. <laughs> he said, well, Mr. President... I thought you were going to give him a pardon. But you might change your mind and you might order him to be shot next week. And Lincoln said, my old friend, evidently, you do not know my character. If your son is not shot until an order comes from me, he will live to be as old as Methuselah. And that was an indication of Lincoln's character. Well, when Jesus comes, he shows us God's character and he shows how God cares for the needy and those who are marginalized, the outcasts, the ones that no one wants to accept. He came to restore people to uh, uh, physical health, but also spiritual health, relational health. He brought people back into their families that have been outcast because of different diseases and health conditions. And the miracles he does affirms everything that he's doing, his deity, his identity. He is who he says he is. But Jesus is doing something more, something even bigger than all of that. Jesus is doing something greater than just alleviating suffering on earth. When Jesus began his proclamation back in Mark chapter 1, he said, The kingdom of God has drawn near. As the king... And his arrival on earth, Jesus is proclaiming that this is the time of God's visitation to earth. This is the time when God has come down. This is the time when God's kingdom in heaven is now appearing on earth among humans. The time is now. The time is fulfilled. The reign of God is now making an appearance in a fallen world. And the purpose is to redeem all that is broken. Everything that's wrong with the world will now begin the process of getting better. It doesn't happen instantaneously. And so we still hear horrendous accounts of prejudicial and discriminatory actions against individuals because of what they look like or who they pray to or what happens in their life. And we realize that God's kingdom has broken into our world, but it has a long way to go. And the reality is that that will not be fully completed and fully uh, embodied until we join him. But Jesus himself came to proclaim that the reign of demonic spirits, unclean spirits, those spirits that destroy what God had created, those spirits who come to this earth to steal and to kill and to destroy, that those spirits are on notice. And Jesus cast those spirits out of individuals 
with the command to stop bothering and stop demonizing and stop isolating these individuals. When Peter is preaching to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he describes Jesus with these words. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So when Jesus comes and he does these miracles, it's not for us to stand back and think, Ooh, wow, that was a good one. Do another one. But that's how people received him in that day. And it wasn't simply to alleviate suffering, because if that was God's if and if that was God's goal and that was Jesus' goal, then Jesus was an utter failure. Because Jesus raised a few people from the dead, but there were a whole lot more people that died than lived under Jesus' reign when he walked on this earth. There's something bigger. And so today we're going to look at two miracles. Both of them are very, very well known. But I want to take a step back and try and look at the bigger picture. The first is a miracle that's so well known that it's in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle that you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The second miracle is a bit different. It doesn't seem to serve anybody. Nobody gets healed. Nobody gets resurrected. It's a bit of an odd miracle. And at first glance, it doesn't look like they're, convi- uh, they're, they're related. But Jesus will tie them together at the end. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Mark chapter 6. We'll begin with verse 30. If you have your device, pull it up. If not, you can follow along with the reading on the screen. Mark chapter 30, beginning, uh, Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, a remote place. Some of your versions will say a desolate or desert place and get some rest. Too many people, too much work. We need rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them or recognized Jesus and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They were running along the the, the coast the seashore, the beach, and they could see the boat because this is a lake and it's not an extremely large lake. And they were just tracking the boat waiting for, oh, he's going to land over there. And by the time the boat arrives, this mass of people are there waiting. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he got frustrated and got mad. Oh, no. He had compassion on them. He understood what was going on in their hearts and lives. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Helpless, confused, without a leader, endangered by a lack of leadership. You know, the the, the body of Christ, the church, a congregation is referred to as a flock. And God has appointed shepherds, men, to watch over and care for the flock. The people of Israel had different individuals who served, and they were not good shepherds. They were bad shepherds. They were evil shepherds. They took advantage of the flock. 
And there's too many stories of pastors and priests and ministers who are evil shepherds, who take advantage of the flock that God has given them. But Jesus sees these people as sheep without a shepherd, no one to look up to, no one to follow, looking for guidance. You know, Sunset has been fortunate and has been blessed with godly men to serve this congregation. And at times there are situations and circumstances that suggest and lead us to the conclusion that we, we need to broaden that base. And so uh, later on in a couple months, we'll be looking at that and we'll be thinking about that process of of looking at perhaps naming new shepherds and beginning that process. Because God doesn't want a flock or sheep without a shepherd. And so the first thing that he does is he taught them. And he taught them many things. And he began preaching and teaching and it went through the day and we don't know how long it went. But at some point in the afternoon, it was late. And the disciples say, you know, we're way out here. The boondocks, <laughs> it's already late. Send the people away so they can get something to eat. Jesus surprises them. He says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> what? That, that would take more than half a year's wages. The, the, the text says 200 denarii. One denarii was one work, uh, one work day of, uh, of salary. Six to eight months. We, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have those kinds of resources. And every time God asks us to take a look at our resources, he knows that he has the resources, and what he wants to do is to guide us to faith and to action. And so he says, what do you have? They came back. Five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, springtime. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. The order, it's interesting, that detail, sitting down in a desert place, in something of an oasis in the springtime in groups of hundreds and fifties. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. That he gave to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. This language is so familiar, isn't it? He took and broke and then gave. We're going to hear that similar language in just a, in just a few minutes as we gather around the, the, the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. There are hints that this is more than just a meal. This is more than just eating bread and eating fish. Just as when we gather around the Lord's table, this is more than eating a piece of a cracker and a little cup of juice. There's something much bigger happening. The, the good shepherd has gathered his flock to lay down and rest in green pastures. He, he organizes them in groups just like Moses did back in Exodus. He, he is feeding Israel with bread and with manna. 
just as God fed, uh, he is feeding the, 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 the Israelites just as God fed the Israelites. What, what we're seeing here is Jesus looking back to God's action and then anticipating a time when he will be with his people in the future. Jesus is the host. He is the one at the head of the table. And he invites all to eat. Invites everyone to eat with him. And this language is a deliberate attempt by Jesus and by Mark to guide us to that realization. That this is not just about bread and fish. He, he doesn't want us to miss the theological significance of what's happening. God has been working to bring his people through the wilderness to arrive at that promised land. And as we mentioned last week, that's what Jesus is doing with his people. He came from the promised land to guide his people back home. And so as they're going through this wilderness, Jesus is giving them hints to say, this is what it looks like. This is where we're going. This is what I'm doing. So they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And so Jesus begins with this meal. And there's these clues that it's something bigger than just a meal of bread and fish or bread and wine. His language is saying, I am a part of this heritage and this tradition. And like Moses, I am the prophet who is guiding my people home. And he invites us to join him in this journey. Now, John, when he tells this story, adds a little note that makes our ears perk up. John says, after everybody had eaten, the men rose up and tried to make Jesus king. And we begin to see that maybe what the people were thinking is, this is the time to start the rebellion. This is when we gather around King Jesus. This is when we're going to put down Herod, we're going to fight the Romans, and this is where we start. And you have this army of 5,000 men, organized in groups of 100s and 50s. And so Jesus' response to that particular action is immediately he puts his disciples in the boat, sends them across the lake, dismisses the crowd, and then he goes up to the mountain to pray. Jesus makes it very clear that he wants nothing to do with this type of rebellion and action. Jesus doesn't want his people, especially his disciples, to get it into their heads that just because the people want a revolution, the disciples are then going to lead it. So he separates them and he goes up to the mountain to pray. And he's praying throughout the evening and into the night. And then when the boat was in the middle of the lake, he was alone. He saw the disciples. He was on the mountain. Even though it was dark, he could see them. The wind was blowing against them <coughs> somewhere between three and six in the morning. He began to walk out to them. He was about to pass by them. 
Now, everything we know about Jesus would indicate that when a person is in danger, when a person is at risk, when a person needs help, Jesus is there to provide that help. Jesus saw his disciples were struggling. He walks out on the water, which is kind of a weird thing to do. Seems like it is a theatrical stunt. Have you ever seen Jesus Christ Superstar? Uh, the song that Herod sings at one point says, hey, if you're really Jesus, Jesus the Christ, walk across my swimming pool. But, but then the text tells us that he intended to walk on by. And what that does for those that are clued in sends off lights. Because this is overtly theological language. This is the language of what's called theophany, when God shows up. This is the language that has been used twice before in, in history. When God passed by Moses in the cleft of the rock. When God passed by Elijah when he was on the mountain, he had cried out and God shows up. Twice. God passed by Moses and Elijah, and both those individuals are going to show up on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. God is showing his presence to the disciples. It's not a theatrical stunt. It's not because it was shorter to go across the water than to walk around. God is giving his disciples a clue into his very nature. He's trying to calm their spirits and their fears. And the first thing he says is, be of good courage. It is I. I am. And when you hear I am, it doesn't come across in the English quite as well. But when you hear I am, what does that remind you of? What is God's name in Exodus? The great I am. When Jesus shows up, especially in the book of John, Seven times he will say, I am the living water, the bread of life, the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am. Jesus is identifying himself to his disciples as part of that long line of God showing up to walk alongside his people in the moments of fear and distress. Jesus gets into the boat. Things calm down. They were scared to death, and they cry out because they thought they had seen a ghost. The lore, the ancient lore of that time was that when you see a ghost on the water, that's it. Game over. They cried out and were terrified. He spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. I am in Greek. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat. The wind and the waves calmed down. They were completely amazed. And notice what Mark and Jesus point out. Because they had not understood about the loaves. Huh? The loaves? What does walking on water have to do with this miraculous production of food? It's Jesus was pointing them to the bigger picture. He was pointing them to, 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 to the future kingdom. He, he was giving them a glimpse, and they didn't get it. All they got was, wow, that was a good meal and pretty cheap too, huh? 
And then when they're out in the water, it's like, wow, wow, I didn't know Jesus could walk on water. And so Jesus is trying to bring them along and to show them that everything he is doing is trying to give them a glimpse of the future world. And the challenge for us is that we not be dull of hearing, that our eyes not be blinded, that we not have hearts that are hardened, that we understand what Jesus is doing and we don't follow him just because uh, he made someone well. It's so much bigger than that. We don't follow him because I asked for some help and then he provided some money and so now he's my God. Because brothers and sisters, you know as well as I do, there will come a time when you pray and you don't get what you want. There'll come a time when you pray for someone to get well and they will die. You pray for uh, health or you pray for wealth and you pray for prosperity and, and you don't get it. And when all of our hopes are tied up in Jesus doing exactly what we want, we have not brought heaven down to earth. We've tried to make heaven our puppet. And so God is rolling back the curtain. He's giving us a glimpse of that future world. And the ministry that we are involved in as we follow Jesus is to be that kingdom, to be that good news. And it goes beyond just us witnessing that glimpse. It's now we are men and women of the kingdom and we are the ones that give a glimpse of that future world. And so now we're the ones that provide the compassion and the care to those who are hurting. We imitate Jesus in his actions by proclaiming and by living the kingdom. And so when someone looks at our lives, what they should see is a glimpse of that future world. When they look and think through what have we done or what do we do and why do we do it, Rather than focusing on, wow, that was really nice, or that was very generous, or that was really cool, what we hope to give them is a glimpse of, no, this is a part of what the bigger kingdom is about. And so we invite you to follow us as we follow Jesus. And as we continue through this gospel, we're getting closer to the point where Peter will recognize who Jesus is. But in the meantime... Jesus continues to hold out hope that maybe his disciples will get it. They missed it on this point. They didn't see the connection. They didn't see how Jesus was showing them his connection and his identity to God. There might be some of us here today that are getting to that point where it's beginning to sink in. You want to make a decision. You want to do something. Begin by opening scripture and, and reading about Jesus. You begin by building relationships. You begin by deepening your faith and your relationship with him. At some point when your faith gets to a point where it's ready to produce action, you're baptized and then you continue to follow on. And if you're ready at that point today, we would love to help you with that. For many of us, it's a question of rereading these scriptures and rethinking how do I treat Jesus? What do I use him for? How does his presence give me comfort and hope and courage?
Maybe you need prayers because you just can't see your way out of it. The struggle seems too great. It's like you're in the middle of a dark night in a boat in the middle of a storm-tossed sea. And you're afraid. And what you're looking for is an appearance of God. And Scripture, Jesus shows up to be that, that, that visual reminder of who He is and what He wants to do with us and for us. If you have any kinds of prayer requests, any kinds of decisions you'd like to share, we invite you to come. Please stand. Jeff will be here to take your requests and pray. God bless you.